0: Welcome to the Red Clinic podcast. I'm Dr. Shwailin, licensed psychologist and expert in the treatment of eating disorders. Today, I have one of my favorite guests on this show. One it, of them. One of them. I guess the favorite guest. I don't I was know. Say. <laughs> the guest is my husband, Gene, who's going to just help me have this conversation with you all today. All right. Um, and this may actually end up being like a two or three-part episode because there's just so much to say about bariatric surgery. Uh, but we'll keep you posted. We'll see how today's episode goes.
1: Maybe next time I'll be her other favorite de- guest.
0: Yeah, and then there you go. So um, <laughs> in terms of bariatric surgery, what I'm going to be talking about today is um, just an overview of like the different procedures that are out there and try to f- like feel out the audience a little bit, aka my guest over here, about um, what your initial conceptions about bariatric surgery are, what comes to mind when you hear that term, then talk about what it really is, you know, in terms of what the definitions are. And then what I want to do is just really focus on the eating disorder population. So bariatric surgery in individuals who have eating disorders, I'm not going to speak to individuals who don't have eating disorders, okay? I'm not an expert in that field. I'm also not going to speak to whether or not bariatric surgery is, you know, a good or a bad thing, because in the medical field, there is a place for bariatric surgery, I'm sure, right? Because it's out there, people are doing it, there are surgeons out there who are well qualified to do that. So that is not what we're doing today. We're not saying it's a horrible thing, stay away from it, or it's the best thing in the world, you know, sign up we're gonna talk about just what is bariatric surgery, how does it relate to some of the things that go on with clients who have eating disorders, okay? Yeah, sounds good. All right, so what do you think bariatric surgery is?
1: Well, just from what you said, I mean, there's, um, you know, I googled bariatric surgery, and I just put the word bariatric surgery in there, and the first thing that came up, well, let me rephrase, everything that came up had to do with weight loss. Okay. Weight loss pills, weight loss this, so it's all obviously about weight loss. I can also speak from experience because my father actually had bariatric surgery, um, which was required because he was having a kidney transplant and he was quite a bit overweight. Um, And he could not lose the weight necessary in the time that he needed to in order to have a successful surgery or to give him the most success possible for the surgery. Um, So he he did go through with the bariatric surgery. Um, But what I do also know is that after the surgery, he never really had any requirements to do any, like, true follow-up with dietitians and support people and whatnot because he was overweight because he had a he had a, a, an issue binging on certain foods and whatnot, working late hours of the night, you know, on a consistent basis, which led to him being overweight. So um, so when I, there's also something when I Googled bariatric surgery, there was something that came up from the Mayo Clinic that I thought was very interesting that wanted to share. It says... Um, talks about just the different types of weight loss surgery. So it's all basically... So let's
0: just stop right there, if you don't mind, before you, r- you read your article. Because what what Gene just said is bariatric surgery equals weight loss surgery. Okay? And in the red clinic, I mean, those are buzzwords, right? For, for eating disorder clients, those words are music to their ears. And so weight loss surgery is currently the way it's marketed. It's currently the way that... Um, people have that like equal connotation. Oh, bariatric surgery is weight loss surgery or they've never heard the term bariatric before, but they know what weight loss surgery is, right? So it's weight loss surgery, not bariatric surgery, okay? So, you know, we spoke previously on uh, different episodes about diet culture and the thin ideal in our society. And so weight loss surgery is very much in line with the thought process of American society, right? Who values the thin ideal? Who, you know, who's constantly looking for the next fat diet, the next pill, or the next quick fix? And weight loss surgery, right? When bariatric surgery is advertised as weight loss surgery, mm-hmm. essentially meets the, those requirements. It's that quick fix for a lot of people who are very desperate in how unhappy they are in their own bodies.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. It, it's kind of funny because when I think of you know weight loss surgery and insurance companies going to actually pay for this, I'm like, man, why don't they just pay for me to go to the gym, man? Because if I get me a personal trainer, I would definitely utilize my insurance for that. But um, some of the weight loss surgeries, when it comes to uh, some of the things you're going to probably talk about, you know, I don't know all the different types of bariatric surgeries there are, but I do know like there's like the band and there's like some sleeve type of thing, and I, I know one of them encompasses like getting some of your intestines cut out and whatnot, which is, I mean, why would somebody want to do that? Um, But, you know, the Mayo Clinic, you know, obviously people, you know, they respect what comes from the Mayo Clinic or WebMD and whatnot. It's a medical website. And it says that, um, you know, bariatric or gastric bypass and other weight loss surgeries known collectively as bariatric surgery involve making changes to your digestive system to help you lose weight bariatric surgery is done when diet and exercise haven't worked or when you have serious health problems because of your weight. So I can understand like serious health problems because of your weight. You know, there may be some medical reasons that that could be done, but when diet and exercise hasn't worked, I just think about, and again, I'm just, you know, a a lay person here, but I just think about if it hasn't worked, then is is it me that's the problem? They haven't worked because maybe it's the diet itself or maybe it's me or maybe I just didn't do the right things.
0: Well, what you just did though is you just connected, right? Thin ideal diet culture and why weight loss surgery is such a successful industry. So, again, diets are meant to fail us. We're not, it's not scientifically even um, feasible to cut out, you know, f- full food groups for long periods of time or to sustain. Uh, very limited and restrictive caloric intake. And so these lifestyle changes, right, that people all think are the answer to weight loss and looking the way I should, that's all a part of the diet culture that we live in. Again, not thinking about food as fuel and a source of nutrition, but thinking about food as something that's directly related to how I look is where diet culture comes in and how successful it has become. People really believe this stuff. And then again, when you say, why would somebody do that, right? It's Because they're, they're at that point where they feel like they're desperate. You know, a lot of people, I do bariatric evaluations all the time. That means a preoperative evaluation. This is a client that comes in prior to surgery who needs to be cleared psychologically in order to be able to go through with the surgery. And much of the time we are finding that actually there is an eating disorder present And people are doing everything they can to explain it away. So they may say, well, you know, I've tried every diet in the book. Or I'm tired of being unhealthy or being winded when I play with my kids. I don't like getting on airplanes and having to buy two seats anymore. I just want a normal life. I want a quality of life. Or I want to be around for when my kids grow up. And so seemingly, it appears that they have such innocent and well intentions to go and do this life-changing surgery to themselves, and in some, in some ways, irreversible surgery, if it depending on the uh, procedure they choose, um, and not really understanding like what you alluded to, Gene, in terms of um, the aftercare that's associated with the post-operative management of the surgery. So let's talk about what the different procedures are. Now, the different procedures are, are confusing if you don't have any experience or background in this. Um, they're so confusing. Sometimes I even just like Google it just to remind myself of what they are um, because sometimes it, the actual procedure doesn't actually sound like what the name of it is. Um, So there's the gastroplasty. This is, I think, what people most commonly used to associate bariatric surgery with, and that's getting your stomach stapled, okay? So essentially, the stomach is stapled. It creates a small pouch that allows only limited amounts of food. I think that was more common uh, back in the day. Not so much uh, do I hear clients talking about that procedure. Then you have the laparoscopic adjustable gastric banding, or that's just... band. People know it as the lap band or the band surgery. This is when there's literally an adjustable band placed around the stomach, and it's a minimally invasive option. So again, these are all ways that maybe something sounds more attractive to a client who's interested in a surgery, okay? Then you have the sleeve, okay? And it's interesting that it's called the sleeve. It's, It's a there's a longer word after after it but everyone leaves it out. It's the gastrectomy. Okay? And that's a surg- that's the scientific way of actually saying like removing something. So sleeve is removal of approximately 80% of the stomach. Okay? This is when a surgeon goes in, removes 80% of someone's stomach. So that's an organ, right? That they're never going to get back ever. Cuz once it's gone, it's gone. And so the remaining 20% is like a tube-looking tube, tube looking pouch that looks kind of like a banana, okay? And then the um, duodenal switch, which is another procedure that clients will come to me and say that they're thinking about getting. This is, a r- again, a removal of the portion of the stomach, bypassing a large portion of the small intestines. Sounds like maybe that's what your dad got. I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. And so those are some of the procedures that are out there marketed as weight loss surgery. So when clients come to our clinic, they'll say I'm interested in weight loss surgery or I'm thinking about it as an option because I'm so unhappy living in my larger body. Okay. And then essentially because obesity is considered in our country an epidemic, okay not a pandemic, but an epidemic, uh, it's been... And everyone's scared of it. Everybody is scared of being overweight or obese, whether or not they have an eating disorder, just because in our um, media, social media, in the news, uh, even when you go to the doctor, the first thing your physician's looking at is, well, what's your weight? Where's your BMI? Let's look at your growth charts, all that stuff. And they want to have conversations with you about it all the time. So everybody is so nervous about, well, what about, you know, um, Uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of the word, Uh, metabolic syndrome. Those are things like, you know, diabetes and being at risk for heart failure and high blood pressure, all the things that everybody knows is associated with being overweight. And so when clients come in and they're saying, I've just tried everything and I'm so unhappy, um, I am thinking about weight loss surgery, okay? Now that's a lot of what happens to the clients that walk into the red clinic. Was there anything you wanted to add?
1: no i was just going to talk about diabetes and whatnot and um you know being overweight i went to the doctor a couple of years ago and you know i was i guess four or five pounds overweight what he what maybe i should have been compared to uh, my height and whatnot based on my age and everything and how they calculate everything out and then The doctor literally just looked at me and goes, "Well, yeah, but I see your veins and you're actually pretty solid and strong and whatnot. Are you athletic? Yeah, I play tennis. I do this. I do that. He goes, yeah, you know, it's probably more muscle mass than anything. And so I'm not really worried about that right now, but he, he brought it up like, you know, being overweight and, you know, just the concerns and, you know, now we may have to look at this again because we may have to medicate and whatnot. So that's when I stopped you know, going back to him because it sounded like ultimately all he wanted to do was find a medical reason to do something medically to me whether it's medication or something
0: okay and so you made the choice actually like the empowered choice to decide to find a different provider some people will hear that and they go home and they can't sleep okay they're losing sleep over it now and it's bothering them it's planting a seed and it's it's growing and then what ends up happening is this like Constant dissatisfaction with self, and why did they say that to me? I wish I was to the point where the doctor wouldn't even come in and talk to me about that stuff. And maybe they're feeling embarrassed, um, shameful, guilt. You know, there's so much that goes behind why someone with an eating disorder may actually go to the point of pursuing surgical intervention to try to lose weight. Okay? And like you said, it's a big deal. I mean, these, these procedures are no joke. You know? Yeah,
1: I mean if you think about it, I mean you got you've got anywhere from you know f- 10 to 15 feet of intestines in your body and they're cutting 80% of that away. I mean that's that's just to me it's, it's, it's insane. Well, it's the
0: stomach. They're cutting 80% of the stomach away in that in the sleeve procedure.
1: Gotcha. I so tell you, if, it's if confusing. You, it's well, really
0: hard for people to really understand just even what is happening physically and and when you go and talk to a doctor about it they will try to do everything they can to put you at ease, okay? They're going to say, well, this is safe, and there's research, and this is my, this is what I make a living off of. I'm an expert. I've done this over and over again. I've never once seen, you know, anybody X, Y, Z, or whatever. They're going to do everything they can to reassure you that these methods are safe. Sure. And if you go online, you'll find a lot of research that shows, like, these are safe, or bariatric surgery has come a very long way, and, th- you know, there's been a lot of advancements in this area of medicine.
1: Well, I even saw when I Googled it, one of the top three uh, things that came up was like, you know, go to Mexico and get it done, you know?
0: Well, that (laughs) comes up too. And I'm glad you said that because I have several clients that have actually gone to Mexico to get the procedure done. A, because it's much faster. There's a lot less um, requirements that someone has to go through in order to be approved for the surgery. And B, because it can be cheaper. Okay. It's less of a hassle, right? what I've heard horror stories you know it's not as regulated in Mexico and so clients I have met for example um, you know were put on the operating table and cut open only to find that the client was pregnant and um, put her and her baby's life at risk because the surgeon didn't screen for that right so very scary things can happen when people ultimately try to cut corners Uh, another example is when A client came back, um, and maybe it was like six months after the surgery, and was feeling some really intense pain and super uncomfortable, so much pain to the point where they had to go to the emergency room on several occasions, and they didn't even remember who the person was that did the surgery on them, and the person didn't really have any contact information because they had upped and moved locations, okay? So even tracking that person back down who did the procedure was impossible, and so we had to advise her to just get under the care of somebody who understood bariatric surgery to make sure she followed up with different scans to make sure that everything was safe on the inside and then even follow up with a dietitian because nutritionally she was really suffering. Another really good example, you know, a 25-year-old female who actually got the surgery done in the United States, um, but the surgeon did not uh, hit what What are some of the regulations? So this is not very regulated. Um, What I'm talking about is before somebody gets bariatric surgery, most surgeons are going to want um, psychological clearance. Okay.
1: Well, from what I understand too, it's not even really necessarily, in a lot of cases, the actual surgeon requiring that. It's the insurance company requiring it. That's correct.
0: That's correct. And so a lot of insurance companies will say, well, before you can go and get the surgery and have us cover it, um, we want you to have a psychological evaluation, okay? And so surgeons will explain that to the clients because they know that most, so why explain most, why that is. most clients are going to pay through insurance, okay? Um, so a psychological evaluation is generally seeked out because um, there may be an eating disorder present, you know? And that's why this topic is so relevant to the Red Clinic podcast. Clients can struggle with compulsive overeating, You know, maybe because of like a traumatic experience that they've had in their life. I know many clients who compulsively overeat to the point where they are so uncomfortably full and yet they can't stop because maybe they grew up with a scarcity of food. You know, maybe they didn't know the next time they were going to get a meal and they were experiencing extreme trauma in childhood and now as an adult, it's, it's playing out like this in their life, okay? Or we see emotional overeating where maybe clients will try to fill some emotional void or cope through eating. And then what happens is they get stuck in this unending spiral of, well, I'm emotional, so I eat. And then afterwards I'm suffering from guilt and shame. And so it's even more emotions and it's this trap that they're just caught in.
1: Yeah. And just, I mean, I know people who are drinking all kinds of sodas and whatnot, cause they're working late hours and, and, and they just, they work, you know, they get very little sleep and The way they stay up is by drinking soda after soda, and then encompassed with the sodas ends up being unhealthy snacks that they're just indulging in way too much.
0: Well, not really unhealthy snacks. We try to really stay away from that because really all foods fit, but what happens is the person's body then is set up for a binge. And, um, you know, when people are restricting all day because maybe they're working really hard... um, They feel crashes in blood sugar. And so in order to spike blood sugar quickly and get that boost of energy, they may choose foods or be more attracted to foods in those moments of like the brain being desperate for just some energy. They choose foods that aren't necessarily long, like long sustaining sources of energy. And so that's where they then, oh, I can't believe I ate that candy bar. Now I feel even more guilty because I understand that I'm overweight or whatever. It's like this unending loop. Okay. So there's compulsive overeating, there's emotional overeating, and then there's like full clinical eating disorder, which we know as binge eating disorder. And don't get me wrong, because not everyone who has binge eating disorder actually is overweight, okay? That is very common that people with binge eating disorder are presenting in their normal weight range. But those that are overweight that do have binge eating disorder may have had many conversations with their medical providers saying I'm concerned about your weight or I'm monitoring this and I'm gonna watch you closely for any need for medication or anything like that because that is how our physicians are trained in this country to be on the alert and always fearful of obesity and metabolic syndrome okay and so when our clients are hearing this non-stop that you're overweight you know I've heard I've heard of even, Um, endocrinologists, you know, finding that individuals may have thyroid dysfunction. And because of thyroid dysfunction, the client has gained weight. So now this is like a hormonal issue, right, that's causing them to gain weight. It's not actually about how much food they're eating. And yet, they'll still recommend bariatric surgery. Does that make sense? Like, I even get really... Confused about that recommendation. What are we doing to address the thyroid issue? What's Why do we think that bariatric surgery is going to help this client? So that gets very confusing when I see recommendations like that. But what's even more confusing is when I see, which I do all the time, 15 and 16-year-old kids whose endocrinologists are recommending bariatric surgery or who have actually gone through with providing the surgery, to 15 and 16-year-olds, okay? So there's a lot there that I could talk about forever. I'll just unpack it, you know, for a few minutes right now. But at at the age of 15 and 16, someone's body is still very much developing, and so it's really, really difficult to justify an invasive procedure like that. And then what you're ultimately doing to a child that young is um, putting a lot of expectations on them that, this surgery is going to be exactly what it takes to change their behaviors. Most 16-year-olds are busy eating whatever they want and playing video games, and they don't care about doctor's recommendations. That's pretty normal. So for a child to go through bariatric surgery and then be expected to follow some very strict regimen afterwards, which is usually the case, to be on supplement for the in the rest of their entire lives, which is also usually the case, it's uh, it's it's just it's and it blows my mind. You're asking too much. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it sounds like from just the things that you you explained is that there's this weight loss surgery because there may be some uh, disordered eating habits that clients are going through, which has put them uh, at a at a risky weight range. And so they're being recommended for bariatric surgery for weight loss. And more times than not, what it sounds like is because there's some disordered eating habits. So the surgery can be all fine and dandy to get the weight down. But if the actual eating habits are not addressed, then what it sounds like is going to be a a huge concern for, you know, relapse and whatnot. How does somebody change their eating habits just because they lost a bunch of weight? I mean, it's kind of like, you Mm -hmm. know... You get that instant gratification when so, when you when you go on a diet and, if, and these fad diets that these people have probably tried a lot of and you know they may have lost a lot of weight you know on one fad diet and got a lot of compliments so that's kind of like their encouragement but then again what happens it, it, the weight comes back and then they feel really bad because they were getting all these compliments and now they're not and so they have obviously internal things they're dealing with and that's understandable as well but. Um, The surgery is not going to fix the problem.
0: Well, and that's, you know, that's why the psychological evaluation is usually the first step. Okay. And if an eating disorder is uncovered, right, because I'm, I, I told you at the beginning of this episode, I'm only talking to the clients right now that have eating disorders. You know, I know there's other medical reasons for why bariatric surgery has a place, but when there's a psychiatric issue an an eating disorder is present The surgery only addresses the actual physical condition. It does nothing for the psychiatric symptoms, okay? Nothing. You might see like a short-term, okay, I got this boost, and I'm going to go on this diet, and I'm going to do it. But again, diets are made to fail us, and so someone may be able to do it for six months to a year, but inevitably they're going to fall off the wagon, okay, Because the actual psychiatric symptoms were never addressed. And that's a conversation I have with clients every day in clinic that come to us for the bariatric evaluation. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of times when there's no psychiatric diagnosis, they're cleared. You know, it's a conversation at that point with the client about, do you actually know what you're doing? Because this is a big life-changing thing and takes a lot of commitment. There's a different kind of conversation that you have with the client that is not Uh, Meeting Clinical Criteria for a uh, a Psychiatric Illness, okay? Um, If you read uh, Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon, she really um, breaks down, like, tons of research out there that shows, you know, even without a psychiatric diagnosable eating disorder, clients who have bariatric surgery struggle a lot afterwards. Um, There's a huge um, drop in... in um, I guess their nutritional status after you take out 80% of someone's stomach, they're eating way less, and so they're just not getting as much nutrition as they used to. And so w- energy levels fall. People actually feel quite bad afterwards. Um, but because of all the compliments they might get because of the weight loss and the expectation that life is good now that you've lost all this weight, right? Most people after bariatric surgery won't even complain they won't let someone truly know that they actually feel pretty crummy and that this isn't all that it's talked up to be it's much harder than it actually sounds okay so that's that's for anybody going through it and then there's even some statistics from that book about how the mortality rate of clients who've had bariatric surgery is very high so people you know one year and five years out actually end up dying as a result of malnutrition associated with their bariatric surgery or even other complications that have arisen because of the surgery that they had. So really being able to live out the requirements of just having some of your organs removed is really, really hard.
1: Well, in looking at the um, the relapse you know, percentages and whatnot, um, just some things I looked at just really quick was those with diabetes ended up having Know, they they you know losing the weight helped them obviously with their diabetes and the, but then a, within a couple of years you know forty percent of them were back to uh, the same type of um, percentages based on their diabetic uh, you know uh, diagnosis and I just I just looked up so you're talking about all these different types of um, bariatric surgeries so in 2019 there were 256 thousand total bariatric surgeries. Um, and it's grown every year since, uh, every year it's, it's gotten higher and higher. So 2020, I don't have the numbers, but I'm sure it's higher. Um, so since 2011, it's grown substantially. So, I mean, we have millions of people here in the last 10 years who have had just in the U S alone, this type of surgery. And over the last four years, um, or five years up until 2019, so not using the last couple of years, um, almost 60% or more have actually been the sleeve.
0: Yeah, that's a more common um, procedure these days is actually the sleeve, which is removing 80% of your stomach.
1: Because when you, when you mentioned earlier about like, you know, well, you're going to get the, the confidence from the doctor saying, oh, it's okay. We've done a lot of these and whatnot. It reminded me, as soon as you said that, it reminded me when I went to my ENT to have my uh, deviated septum surgery and whatnot. And I, I, I can remember like it was yesterday I asked him about success and it's going to be worth it. Because it wasn't because I needed, I, I absolutely had to do it. I just couldn't breathe well. Um, And then you had mentioned some things uh, of me sleeping at night and whatnot, but, um, you know, he told me straight out, oh, I do like, I do like 8,000 of these a year. I've done like 8,000 of these, as we said, actually, I've done like 8,000 of these and out of the 8,000, I've only had, you know, maybe like one or two or five or something that actually, you know, didn't actually see, didn't see a big, huge, like, you know, um, difference.
0: Right. And that's, I mean, that's normal in the medical world, even when I'm talking to clients, I'll say, you know. I know what I'm doing. I've done this. I'm an expert in this area, right? However, I still will do what I can to meet the person on an individual level. Like, hey, we'll go at your pace, and if this doesn't feel right, we'll switch gears. You tell me what's working and what's not working because you're unique, and I can't just take a cookie-cutter approach. It's, it's not like that in the medical world, okay? And I'm not I'm not dissing doctors at all, but I I just want my audience to be aware of it's okay to be an active participant in your own treatment. It's okay to question things. It's okay to not agree just because someone talks about it as if it's the best thing in the world. It's okay to not do something just because everyone else is, okay? And so when it comes to bariatric surgery, think about it. A lot of what you even just brought up is like these short-term fixes. And that's how doctors are trained. I mean, they see a problem, they go after it. You have a symptom, let's treat it, okay? Even if it means going in different ways about it. So a lot of times doctors will be like, "Oh, you're tired. Have some Benadryl." Benadryl makes people drowsy, it'll help you sleep. But doc, isn't Benadryl for allergies? It's okay. You have a symptom, you're not sleeping, so let's get you to sleep by giving you Benadryl. Okay? There's an there's a symptom, let's treat it. So in the medical world, obesity is considered a serious medical diagnosis. And so if there's a medical diagnosis with all these risks, again, doctors are always looking at like the risk-benefit analysis. What's the risk if we don't do this surgery in the next few years, they could die? Or if we do do this surgery in the next few years, their diabetes will improve. The risk-benefit tells them the surgery is the answer, okay? So no fault to them at all. But when there are psychiatric conditions present, when there's an eating disorder present, What I have to do with clients is explain that to them. It's, hey, you've been struggling with binge eating disorder your whole life or compulsive overeating. Have you ever even worked through it besides just yo-yo dieting, besides following the next fad diet and being even more disappointed and shameful in yourself for failing the diet, right? I mean, when you've tried it your way, yeah, it, it doesn't work. But just because this doctor has this, like, quick fix for weight loss doesn't also mean that that's the answer. We have therapy for what you're going through.
1: Well, and the thing that bothers me, uh, you know, even with my dad, is the fact that there's no real requirements after the surgery, so no one's following you, no one's following up with you. They may for like a couple of weeks or a few weeks or whatnot, but after a few weeks, that's it. I mean, you just took out 80% of my organs in my stomach, and you're going to follow me for like four weeks or six weeks or whatever it was? I mean, to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either, so what are the numbers or things that I'm thinking of just as a, if I was a client looking at bariatric surgery as an option for me is what are the numbers are, are you know, what are the success rates? I mean, h- how do we know? Like, have, have you, has anyone done research on really like what happened to these people f- three years later, five years later, no, 10 years so later? So that's
0: where held at every size by Linda Bacon comes in. Because if you look at what's published online or in scholarly journals, the uh, criteria for success is in weight loss surgery, did people lose weight? Okay, That means it's 100% successful. In fact, bariatric surgery is considered to be the most effective way of losing weight because it has, I think, like 100% success rate. Immediate results, right? Yes, and so that's the metric, that's the criteria for how research is analyzing the data. So the people who actually go out and look to see like, well, what's this person's quality of life like? What are their relationships like? Are they happy? Are they really sad on the inside still and still experiencing shame and trauma and none of that changed, right? Those are books like Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon. okay, And that's where a lot of, there's a lot of research in there that shows like the other side of it. This is the less glamorous side of it that no one's talking about. Now, I have to talk to clients all the time about prioritizing your mental health. And giving themselves permission to just take care of themselves. Hey, you tried it your way. You, you gave in a diet culture. You fell for it. You know, and everybody does, so no shame in and that.
1: There
0: 100%. Right, but, but we don't have to also just take the medical route. There is a way to become your own person and feel better. And then honestly, usually what happens is a side effect of that when you're taking care of yourself and making small changes, a side effect actually is weight loss. I see it all the time with many of my clients, and they never expected to get there without actually being on a diet, you know? But it's it's very real. Like, you can do that even without dieting ever. Um, and that, that's why we have awesome dietitians on staff that can talk to our clients about all of that. Now, usually therapy for someone with binge eating disorder that comes in for bariatric surgery evaluation, but they end up actually having binge eating disorder, the evaluation is not going to be, or the surgery is not going to be recommended. What's going to be recommended instead is, hey, for the next six months to a year, why don't you do eating disorder treatment? Okay. And a lot of clients will actually say, yeah, I can do that. That makes a lot of sense to me. And a lot of clients will also say, no, I can't believe I wasted all this time with you. And now you're gonna write this report that says, I can't get what I want, I, you know, I feel gypped. And they're really upset about it.
1: Sure, so they go to the next psychologist who doesn't have any, any short experience, which is most of them, and...
0: And maybe they get a pass, they get approved, yeah. you know? so So that also shows me what their priorities are, okay? They're not really in it for the long-term gain. They're in it for this short-term fix. They're so fixated on that because they're so desperate to look different. It just tells me how extreme the eating disorder is, right? They're so in the eating disorder, they're not even able to make a decision that's really in their best interest. Yeah.
1: Uh, You know, it's tough. There's a lot of peer pressure out there. You know, the the thin ideal, all the marketing that's out there that we see every day, it's all, you know, beautiful people, um, you know, and we want to compare ourselves to that. It's like, you know, somebody didn't like my hair, so I go get a haircut and do a different hairstyle, you know? You just can't change everything and make yourself happy. It's not the... It's not the way to be happy, right? So,
0: Well, I think that's a really good start for maybe a two-part series on bariatric surgery and the eating disorder population. Um, thank you for joining me and helping me have this conversation.
1: Thanks for having me on. All
0: right, there you have it. That's the Red Clinic Podcast. See you next week.